Welcome to Lethal Lullabies, the podcast that takes you on a relaxing journey into the action-packed world of your favorite films. Tonight's story is part two of four of our calming take on the newest Predator film, Prey. Last episode, Naru spotted some unusual signs in the forest. Her keen eye and inquisitive mind are prone to anxious thoughts as she puzzles through all the possibilities. But her steady hand and patient nature help calm her nerves. Hopefully, her hunt tonight will have the same calming effects for you. But before you snuggle up, please take a minute to follow us on your podcast provider. Every click or review means the world to us as we get this little sleep show off the ground. All right. When you're ready, find a good pillow and your trustiest blade and get ready for Lethal Lullabies Sedator Pray for Sleep Part 2 Naru follows behind the other hunters of her tribe as they transport their fallen friend back to the camp. Together, they creep through the forest, guided by torchlight and the soft glow of the full moon. But the group is not united like they were when they left the camp. Naru's mind is buzzing with thoughts and concerns. She worries about her brother, that he may not be safe in his hunt. And she worries that he may not trust her to accompany him. Her mother had taught her to seek out the tension in her mind and body and let it flow away like water. 
she takes a deep breath. And tries to let the thoughts wash away. The rest of the hunting party seems so focused, so sure of their choices. Naru wonders if their minds wander like hers. Sari sniffs around the perimeter of the party. She stumbles upon something near a tree, and Naru goes to check on it. There in the brush rests a venomous snake, put to sleep by some creature that had no interest in food or tools. Could this be the creature that made Puhi so tired. Questions flurry through Naru's mind, but her companions are not troubled by the sight. Their thoughts are back at camp with their families, with safe teepees and warm food and healing medicine. It has been a long night of tracking, and there is no place left in their minds for worry. They simply wish to rest. Naru wants to rest too. But she knows now that she will not sleep soundly without first finding the answers to the questions filling up her mind. The hunting party can continue on its way home, but Naru must go back to find her brother. One of the hunters, Paka, is delegated to travel with her, and the rest return to the camp with the crackling fires and the safe beds. Naru and her companion make their way through the dark, back towards where they last saw Naru's brother, Tabe. At the edge of a clearing, Tabe finds Naru. He speaks to her quietly, only a whisper. We're in the cat's hunting ground, he says. Naru and her companion take this in. 
The moon is high above, and its blue light washes over the clearing. There's a chill to the air that lingers about. The hunters know they cannot fall asleep now, so they must be careful. Tabe asks Naru why she came back, and she tells him about the thoughts running through her head. It gives Tabe pause. Naru teases him a lot, but she does not lie. Perhaps there is something else in the woods. But he can't let his mind wander right now. Not when sleep could be so close. He promises Nado they will discuss her concerns later. But first, they need to focus on the task at hand and put this cat to sleep. For now, this is enough to quiet her mind. And so, Naru agrees. Naru examines the clearing. It's not common to hunt a predator in its own domicile. She proposes they bait the cat, pretend to be its prey, act docile, and then lure the cat into a nap. This plan makes Paka anxious. He hides it behind bluster, but waiting scares him. If they attack the cat head on, they might at least frighten it. But if instead they act as prey, they could end up backed into a corner and then sleep would surely be upon them. But Tabe likes Naru's idea. And although she might not think so, he has been listening to her. She saw the firebird, a sign. She tracked the missing hunter and found them and the cat's hunting ground. It's time for her big hunt. Her katamiya. Tabe puts his hand 
on Naru's shoulder. After their father died, Tabe tried to be the father Naru needed, but he never knew how to stop being her brother. Every time she teased him, he would fall back into his childish rivalry. He fights the urge now. A hunter's katamiya is a sleepy business. Each hunter looks sleep in the eye and must say, this is as far as you go. No more. This is it. That's what their father told him. And now those words are what he passes on to Naru. Tabe leaves to bait the cat, while Naru and Paka ready their weapons atop the only tree in the clearing. Paka's eyes feel heavy, but he hopes Naru won't notice. Still, he can't help but talk about sleep. He tells her about all the tools the cat has to put her to sleep. Not soft, cozy blankets or soothing, gentle sounds. The cat's sleep comes from glistening teeth and manicured claws. Paka plans to trick Naru into returning home. There, she can tuck herself into bed and close her eyes in safety. But his plan does not work. Naru stays put. Paka poises himself for another story of sleep. He knows many details that could lead to a very long story. But he isn't able to utter even a single syllable. He gasps as the cat from his stories pulls him down into the earthen bed below. Paka was right. This cat can indeed put you to sleep in an instant. 
Naru readies her bow and steadies her heart with a singular focus before her. The thousands of questions running through her head evaporate. How strange, she thinks. She's facing certain sleep, exactly like her brother said. But a part of her is calmer than she has ever been. Still, her options are limited and her adversary is drawing ever nearer. She takes another soothing breath in and out. Naru stands her ground, perfectly balanced on the sinewy tree branch that bends and creaks under her weight. She steadies her weapon far off in the distance. A flash of red light momentarily spills through the forest. It draws Naru's attention and her foot slips. Air whooshes by her face. She's falling. Her body is light as she moves down, 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 quickly making contact with the ground. Naru sighs and rests her eyes in the darkness, sounds of home float in. Naru slowly opens her eyes to find the warm, comforting safety of her mother's teepee. Her body still feels heavy like she's laying beneath a pile of soft blankets. Her mother kneels by the fire, waiting for Naru to get up. She has made a calming herbal tea for Naru to drink. The fragrance wafts through the tent. The nostalgia of the aroma is enticing, but Naru can't let her mind drift back to sleep. There are too many questions 
floating around. What happened to the cat? What happened to her brother? Her doubt whispers that she's not good enough, that she'll never be a hunter. Naru tells her mother she needs to go back out into the woods to help Tabe. Her mother sees Naru's anxiety and hands her daughter the tea. It will not cure all of Naru's ails, but it's better than nothing. She worries about Naru's need to prove herself, even now when it would be better to rest. She tells Naru that her brother does not need her help. Katamiya, she says, is not about proving to others that you can be a hunter. It's about surviving. Her mother's expression is stern. There's wisdom behind her words, and with a calm mind, Naru lets her mother's advice soak in. Outside, Tabe returns to camp. He walks slowly, the lion draped over his shoulders. He's so tired, but each step he takes reverberates with a sense of pride. The tribe gathers around, feeding off the joy emanating from Tabe. This cat had once prowled around their homes, putting everyone on edge. But now that it slumbers across Tabe's shoulders, there is nothing to fear. They gather together to celebrate with music and dancing. All around Tabe are smiling faces, with one exception. Naru's catnap feels all the more striking in the face of her brother's success. The tea cannot suppress this doubt. She takes her leave from the festivities, but Tabe goes after her. He tells her she should be thrilled. 
they got the cat together. He doesn't understand why she is not celebrating with the others. He doesn't understand the pain pulling her down. Naru doesn't quite understand it either. She grasps for something, anything that her brother can be wrong about. We didn't do it, she replies. The real monster is still out there. Tabe promises her that he will hunt down whatever it is she saw. But this isn't what Naru needs. She doesn't know how to say it, but she needs to prove herself. And her brother's words are forcing her into stagnation. We need to go further, out past the ridgeline, she says, and she starts to walk away. Tabe doesn't know how to stop her. He had come here to share the hunt with her, to celebrate with her. But now it's all falling apart. Naru tells him she'll hunt alone if she has to. Tabe is so lost in the conversation in the direction it has turned, that he can't hold back the thoughts he had long hid from his sister. For the first time, he talks to Naru like the other hunters do. He tells her she simply cannot hunt. Not like them. For the first time ever, the thoughts in Naru's head come out of Tabe's mouth, and they hurt her more than any claw or fang ever could. The next morning, Naru wakes to the sound of the gatherers getting ready for their day. Mothers with their babies, sisters and wives all make their way out to the glade with their satchels and hatchets. Naru gathers her belongings and heads off in the other direction, out 
to the ridge. Only her and Sari. She finds the first signs of her prey on a broken tree stump. A thick, liquid, glowing in a hazy green. Naru inspects the substance. Nearby is a footprint larger than she's ever seen. A distant howl breaks her concentration. Naru knows the sound. There must be a wolf on the other side of the woods, baring its teeth and facing off against a competitor for its dinner. Right now, the wolf must be looking sleep in the eye as she did with the cat. The memory sends a shiver down her spine. Naru listens. She doesn't hear another howl. Instead, she hears something new rising up out of the forest, like a growl, but with a chilling, clicking noise behind it. Naru's mother and brother's words still rattle around in the back of her mind. Was she not ready for her katamiya? Naru leans into the thoughts. Maybe they were right all along. She looks down to her hatchet. Maybe she wasn't ready then. But that doesn't mean she would never be ready. Naru knows she can grow even stronger than she is now. She's smart and observant and creative. And right now she knows more about this prey than anyone else in her tribe. This resolve pushes away her worries, and she gets to work enhancing her hatchet by wrapping a cord around the handle. This new addition allows her to pull it back to her after throwing it. She practices throwing her new design 
back and forth until her motions are smooth. At first, she subdues only trees, but when her stomach rumbles, Naru seeks faster prey. Soon, she and Sari feast on a bountiful supply of cooked rabbit. The next morning, Naru wakes, not in her mother's teepee, but in the small campsite she built with Sari. The open surroundings energize her in a way her usual morning ritual never did. She packs up the camp and takes off with Sari at her heels. Their search takes them through large open fields and across babbling brooks. All the while, Naru notes the signs of her otherworldly friend. There are broken twigs and speckles of neon green and sleeping animals left in the highest trees. Sari barks, calling Naru over to an open field. Something awful must have happened here. Dozens of buffalo sleep, stripped of their warm blankets, forgotten and left to disappear. Naru has put many animals to sleep. The rabbits for her dinner last night. Birds. Even predators like foxes. But it never felt like this. Like sport. She kneels down and prays for the buffalo, sending them off to a full rest with the words, Tasewu atsabi, yatsura atsaku, kurata papa'a, ya amoko. Wind whips through the nearby trees. Naru looks down and finds another otherworldly item. It's small, no larger than the palm of her hand, and it smells like tobacco. Nearby, something unseen tracks through the woods, following the same route 
as Nadu and Sari. Similar to whatever Nadu is tracking, she herself has left traces of her journey behind. Her footsteps mark the ground and lead the invisible creature closer and closer. Naru and Sari continue their search. They have gone far beyond the ridge and the land that Naru knows. Here the trees group together in unfamiliar patterns. The land rises and falls in new and unexpected ways. The novelty of it all makes Naru cautious. She carefully chooses each step, testing even the ground she walks on. The earth is starting to feel softer, despite the fact that they are no longer near a stream. Naru lets her foot gently sink into the muck. The mud rises to her ankle. She tries another step and then another. Across the muddy terrain, she spots a tree with marks made by giant claws, possibly the creature she's after. The muck pulls her down, but it's nothing she can't handle so she takes another step towards the tree. This one, however, pulls her down until the mud is hugging her up to her chest and holding her in place. Once again, Naru's body feels heavy, sleepy. She takes her hatchet and sends it flying through the air in graceful circles towards the tree. The hatchet adds a new scratch to the bark but doesn't latch in so Naru pulls it back and tries again. In her mind, the voices and worries start to wind up. But Naru has no time for them. 
she sharpens her focus and steadies her breath. Gazing at the tree, there is nothing else in the world, not even the worries in her mind. She tosses the hatchet and it glides towards the tree, finding the perfect spot to wedge into. Naru hears a strong crack as the blade latches into the tattered bark, and finally she puts hand over hand on the hatchet's cord to slowly pull herself free of the muck. Naru heads back to the stream to wash away the cold sediment coating her body and weapon. Hopefully my voice is just an echo in your subconscious right now. But if not, let's use this opportunity to take a few breaths in and out. And another in and then out. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to follow Lethal Lullabies wherever you get your podcasts in order to receive updates on our latest releases. For longer content, consider becoming a subscriber on Spotify. For $2.99 a month, you get access to our full sleep stories 
and maybe even some personalized content. Plus, it really helps us out. But no matter how you choose to participate, we never tire of our lovely community of sleepyheads. Thank you for your listens, likes, and action-loving vibes. Good fight and good night.